Warframe 42 with Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks. You can check us out on our website, frame42.com. We're on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all under Frame42Band. And you can find our EP Underground on all streaming platforms. I feel like I don't care no. Thinking about forever makes me terrified. Blood is rushing out of my veins, feeling colder without your pain. And it's raining out from the sky, feel the blood rising in my mind. Heaven knows if I'll be alright. Devil on my shoulder, speaks to me in tongues, and I ain't going Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Thanks for tuning in once again. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. You can catch all my friends on Pantheon, like Tom and Zeus on the Great Kiss Podcast. Shout out Loudcast, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mistress Carrie, the legendary Boston DJ, Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, as well as Aaron and Chris on Decibel Geek. So check out all those and more. Something for everyone on that platform. Don't forget to check out the Hook Rocks wherever you podcast. We're all available on all platforms. Check out our Instagram page, Twitter, and Facebook. And some great episodes we've had recently. We just celebrated our 400th episode uh, with some friends, some fellow uh, Twitter followers, as well as our three-year anniversary with Stephen Piercy from Rat. We did wow. some great new music spotlights, too, as well, with Band Inc., Georgia Thunderbolt, Stone Broken, and many more. So check out all of those. And we just did uh, a great business music business report for the third quarter of 2022, where we talk about the ever-changing Facebook algorithm, the cloudy future of TikTok, and what's in store for the future of NAM. So check out that episode with Christian Eagle, our great uh, music industry insider. We've got a great new music spotlight for you today, and I'm very excited about the individual and the band that I'm be speaking with. It is Justin, the band is Broken Love, and how are you doing, man? What's going on? I am very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for doing this. I've been wanting to have you on the show here for a bit. So I'm glad we found the time to talk and looking forward to getting to know you as uh, we move forward. Yeah, man. Yeah. Excited. So we always start the same way every time we have a first time guest on the podcast. And that's really what we're all about. Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? For me, it was uh, it was Kiss, and um, I think specifically, I remember listening to Destroyer when I was a kid, driving around with my uncle, and he had the CD in a in his car, and I remember hearing it because I think the first track on that record is "King of the Nighttime World." Yes. I think. And um, well, no, Detroit Rock City then goes into King of the Night. Then King of the Nighttime World, right? I got it flipped. Sorry, I'm not a, I'm not as well versed in my my 
my uh, kissology as I used to be. Um, but that was kind of it for me. I mean, I guess I, I, I heard the music. I was like, wow, this is cool. And then I saw a picture of them and I was like, whoa, like this is unbelievable. These guys look like superheroes, you know? Um, and I kind of got obsessed from that moment, you know, just all things kiss. I still have like the Gene Simmons statue in my room. I have a big sort of like, um, I guess it's like a big poster kind of thing with all this memorabilia on it. You know, I just found some kiss comic books actually the other day. Um, yeah. So I mean, for me, it was kiss. They kind of changed everything for me. I was just at creatures fest in Nashville over, uh, Memorial Day weekend and got to see Ace Freely, who I've seen a bunch of times. Uh, Peter Chris on stage with Ace, which was really cool. Wow. Uh, I got to see the Vinnie Vincent experience, which was quite interesting. I didn't know that guy was still around. I thought he disappeared for a long time. <laughs> he was. He's like with the, the Henry Hughes of, of rock and roll. He's very, yeah. uh, um, you know, to himself and doesn't really do a lot of things, but he made it out for this show. That was an interesting experience to say the least, but, yeah. um, but no, I've been a big Kiss fan too. My first album I ever bought was Kiss Lick It Up, but I remember opening up the gatefold for a live too. And seeing the picture of their live performance with the mm-hmm. flames and explosions. And like you said, you know, these characters that were just out of this world yeah. uh, that just were so captivating for a young individual like myself and you that, you know, it was so easy to kind of get pulled into that. Right. No, totally. It was more the imagery. I mean, the music was great, of course. But like, I think what really sold me was the was the look, you know, because I'd never really seen anything up to that point. And Obviously, like when I was younger, um, I think at the time, like there's a lot of like hip hop. I mean, hip hop's very popular now, but at the time, like 50 Cent was really like all my friends listen to like 50 Cent and like Eminem and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember hearing that and seeing what they looked like and just being taken back, you know, by how um, I mean, now, like it, it seems a little outrageous now. Like if I had thought of that idea, like I don't know if I could fully commit to that you know but um i thought just like the whole spectacle of it all was very very intriguing and cool to me and uh i'll never i'll never lose that 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 part of me you know that that kiss fan you know it'll always be inside of me where did it go from there with you 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 talk about kiss and the impact that the imagery and the music had on you but then when did it become something when did music become something that you wanted to pursue I mean, I wouldn't say it was, um, it wasn't too long after, you know, that, I guess. I mean, my uncle was a great guitar player and, uh, you know, on the weekends, like I would always go to his place and he would play guitar for me and we would listen to rock records and, uh, and, uh, you know, he had like VHS tapes of all like these rock concerts and stuff that we would watch. And I just remember really, really wanting to play the guitar, um, uh, around that time. I was about like nine or 10 years old and, uh, it, it took a lot of convincing for my parents to let me, you know, get one because they're like, Oh, if you get it, like you better play it. You know, it's a lot of money. Like you better actually commit to it. Cause you know, a lot of kids at the time were learning how to play guitar. The parents would get them a guitar. Then they just like quit, you know, two, three months later. Um, but I kind of had it in my sights, you know, pretty early on because my uncle was a professional musician and he was already doing that. So it was already in my family. And um, I had just expressed an interest, uh, you know, towards it. And, um, I guess I was probably like 11 or 12 when I was like, Nope, this is, this is what I want to do. 
And uh, I haven't really looked back since. As far as that evolution for you, you know, there's that introduction, which was Kiss. There was the wanting to pursue music because of your uncle and the influence he had on you. When did it become that I want to perform? I want to get up on stage. I want to be in a band. It was probably around like 11, 12 years old. I mean, when I was 12, I was already doing like, you know, I would be, my, my dad's friends would like be at a pub or something. And then they'd be like, okay, he can come in. He could sing a song. You know, I just want to get on stage and sing. But obviously right after they have to take me out because it's, you know, it's a bar. So I would like show up and do my like, you know, Van Halen cover or whatever, and then leave. Um, and like, I, I was kind of doing that for a little bit in Toronto, you know, like my dad had a friend who owned a, owned a club downtown. So he would be like, yeah, I want to come in tonight, just sing, you know, for everybody. And, you know, and then obviously you can't stay, but, um, I kind of caught that bug pretty early. And, uh, I, I guess like, I didn't know what a band was yet. Like, I didn't know how to do that, you know, like put together a band. I didn't really have friends who played like, I was 12 years old for God's sake. Like everybody was still, you know, practically figured out how to tie their shoes, you know, like it was, um, it was, it was interesting. Cause I, I guess I didn't really find musicians like until high school, I guess, like, you know, cause that's when the schools get a lot bigger. And all of a sudden I went to school with like 2000 kids and there was a whole, uh, almost like a Petri dish of like people you could you could find out, you know, if they were into what you were into. And uh, I didn't really start playing in bands till I was, I guess, like 15 or 16. Um, but before that, I guess I was just doing like me and a guitar and singing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was cool when we got to high school because then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, a drummer? I never met one of these, you know? <laughs> and uh, you find out you like Rush and then you go home after school and you play rough songs till you know their mom tells you to get the fuck out <laughs> what about what about like a performance was there a band or you know a concert that you saw that you know really helped you continue down that path was like you know the inspiration of seeing you know the music the people performing on stage um it's hard to say because i guess like by the time I had started seeing shows, I was already pretty deep into like, this is what I want to do. You know? Um, I guess like one of the bands that kind of like changed everything for me was probably the first time I saw the Foo Fighters. That was kind of insane. You know? I mean, cause I love the Foo Fighters and I still love the Foo Fighters and I'd never seen a performance like that energetic before. I mean, granted, you know, at that point I'd only seen, I guess like legacy rock acts, you know, like older bands. I'd seen like Bon Jovi. I'd seen Kiss. I'd seen ACDC. I've seen like the, you know, older dudes. I mean, I guess now the Foo Fighters would be pretty old, but um, um, at the time, I mean, that was probably, fuck. I mean, it must've been like 16 years ago, 15, 16 years ago. They were a lot younger. I was a lot younger. And uh, um, that was like my first, um, taste of what I guess what I thought was new music. I didn't know that the Foo Fighters have been around for a while, even, you know, then. Um, but I think that show in particular was really, really inspiring to me. Cause I, I never seen a front man like Dave, you know, the way he controlled the audience, how excited he was to be there. Like the, the energy and the, 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 the uh, he had like the whole arena was like wrapped around his finger, you know? And um, 
watching him play off the other band members too was very, very cool. You know, him and Taylor's dynamic. I was like, oh, this is something I hadn't seen before. It felt more like a real band as opposed to seeing like a, you know, like, um, I don't know how to put this the right way, but you know, when I, when I saw like kiss, it's like, it's very much a show. It's very well rehearsed. It's very down to like a science, you know, I've seen kiss like 15 times now and it's almost exactly the same thing every single time. I know what Paul's going to say when this song starts, I know when Gene's going to spit the fire. I know, you know, when now Tommy is going to shoot the rockets out. Like I know that stuff, you know, but for the Foo Fighters show, it was like the first time, I guess I really experienced something truly like organic, I guess. Um, and that just blew me away. Um, it was actually the first time I ever really like got emotional at a show. Um, I remember when they played the best of you, Dave did like the bridge part, you know, the, like that part. And the whole crowd sang it and the band dropped out and it kind of went on for like three or four minutes. And I like couldn't help but feel this like sense of like, like, togetherness with everybody there you know like we were all one in this together and like i was kind of overwhelmed with a, with a strong sense of emotion i actually started tearing up and i was like wow this is really powerful and uh, i kind of walked out of that show a different man i would say it is inspiring when you see something like that you know when you see the synergy with the crowd and the band um pretty much become a single unit during a performance yeah. uh, i remember seeing butch walker perform and I'm probably a much smaller venue, but basically turn the mic around. So the mic's facing the crowd and the crowd sang the whole song. Wow. Uh, it was, it was, it was incredible. And you know, he's a much, you know, lesser known artist than Foo Fighters, but he still has a very, you know, rabid following and, and a rabid fan base that goes sees, you know, all his shows and everything, but to see that and just have them, the band playing the music but the crowd singing the song, it's a, it is a remarkable moment when you get to experience that. Yeah. There's something crazy about it. I mean, and, and there's some shows like, like when I saw Iron Maiden, people are singing the riffs, you know, like the whole crowd is singing the riffs too. Like yeah. that was insane. Cause I've never, cause then it, like, it makes me think, I'm like, man, this must be a crowd full of musicians because like, this is not easy stuff, <laughs> you know? So that was that was pretty crazy to me too. I mean, I'd already expected it to happen because I had a, I had rock and Rio, their live album. Like I have had that CD for a long time. And in that recording, you can hear like, you know, I don't know, the two, 300,000 people singing every lick and every riff that I was like, sort of hoping that would happen. And it's exactly what happened. It was pretty remarkable. It is. What about the creative process? When did you, pursue that i mean i've you know you become interested in music you start playing the classic rock hits or you know the the songs that are on the radio but then there's that urge to create something from nothing mm -hmm. when did that hit you when did that become part of your journey um i mean i guess i would say it happened uh, almost right away i guess when i first started playing guitar. So I, I, I I'm self-taught and I, I didn't go to lessons for it. So I would always have to sit down and just like figure stuff out. And then I would come up with my own little lines. I'd be like, Oh, this is kind of cool, you know, or this is kind of cool. And then I would like get into cycles after school. I come home and I pick up my guitar and I just, um, you know, I just start, uh, working on whatever I did the day before and sort of developing ideas and, and, uh, 
I guess like what I didn't know at the time was I was like structuring little songs, you know? Um, and then I remember sort of like, I guess at the time I didn't have a computer, but I would, I would just get like sheets of paper and start like writing down lyrics, you know, and try to sing things over the changes I was making. It was kind of natural. I, I guess like I didn't really think about it. I sort of just started writing songs as soon as I was like capable enough to um, play a couple chords, I guess, because I'd been a singer. I guess I left this out. I've been a singer before I played guitar. I was, uh, I was already into like musical theater and I was doing like a lot of school plays and that kind of stuff. Um, so I already had an interest in, in vocal and like, I was already um, interested in lyrics and melody and all that kind of stuff. So when I started coming up with chords where I could actually play open chords or power chords at the time, I just kind of put two and two together. Um, there was like one summer in particular, I think, where it became more evident that this is, you know, that I'm really going to go down the songwriting path. Because I, I went to an overnight camp when I was younger and we would be gone the whole summer. And I brought my acoustic guitar uh, that summer. And uh, a friend of mine also had started playing guitar and we would you know, we were in the same cabin and we would jam and then we would just be like, Hey man, let's try to like come up with something and then let's play it at like the fire pit tonight for the whole, you know, uh, for the whole unit. Um, and we started doing that over that summer, which I guess I was probably like 11 or 12 years old, maybe to like, it was almost like, you know, yeah, I wanted to do it, but also it was like, oh, I kind of want to show off a little bit and like show all these other kids like, man, like, like I could write songs like this is like for real, you know, and uh, I I, rem I still remember some of those tunes. It was pretty hilarious. But um, that was sort of like the first sort of, I guess, um, it like cemented that I was going to keep doing it after that fact, because I was getting uh, recognition. I was getting praise for it, you know, because we were all kids like we didn't know it was good. You know, it was just cool to see like your friend play guitar and sing something. They were like people were blown away by that at the time. Um, but I think that was the first taste I ever got of, uh, of that sort of, um, what's one looking for? I guess, I guess a little bit of praise, you know, from other people. And I, I guess I really enjoyed that feeling. So I continued with it. How did you evolve as a, as a creator, as a songwriter? Where do you grab influences from? Was there songs that, you wanted to emulate or a style that you wanted to, that you were more influenced by in terms of your, the, the creative process? Um, I guess now, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's always been changing through the years. I think now what I like to do is I'll listen to what's out there now. Like I, I started listening to the radio again. Like I like to call it market research, you know, cause I want to, I want to hear what other bands are doing and what other rock like what, what else is going on in rock radio like what's current you know because though we can be really relying on streaming and stuff these days and there's tons of great rock music you can find there we're trying to go the radio route so i also want to know what rock music is sounding like on mainstream mainstream rock radio or active rock radio for the people that know what that is um and uh i guess i'll like you know, with all that kind of stuff in mind, I'll just kind of try to create like an amalgamation of like all the things I think work and then also try to input the things that I like, 
you know, because obviously I want to hit all the bases. I want it to be catchy. I want it to be, you know, short and concise and, and uh, hit all those points. But obviously I have to get, um, I want to input enough of what I also want to do on the more like creative side um, to sort of satisfy both of those needs. And I, I guess at this point, like, um, I don't really think much about it. It's sort of just, I guess it kind of just like comes, you know, out of me, I guess, like I'll sit down and I'll play something and it'll just make sense. Or I'll sing something and it'll make sense. And I, I feel like at this point in my career and this point in my trajectory as a musician, I'm less precious about my ideas and I'm less precious about how a song should be crafted. I kind of just let it happen. Whereas years ago, a couple of years ago, I would have been more, um, it would have been a little bit more contrived. It would have been like, no, I want to do that, but that's not going to work because so-and-so is not going to like it. Or I want to play this guitar solo, but I can't do it because radio is not going to like it. You know, like I, I was forming things a little bit more. I was, I guess, molding things a little bit more. Whereas now I just kind of let it happen and I record the song and uh, I send it off to the people. And if my team likes it, then it's good. You know, um, like I do keep a, I do keep a whole, my voice memo thing on my phone is just like chocked full of all kinds of just little riffs and little melodies and all that kind of stuff. And I sort of just compile those for a long time. And then when I think I really want to write a song, I'll like go through like 20 or 30 of them and I'll piece something together sometimes from those ideas. Cause sometimes I'll, I'll record something and I won't remember what I did. And then I go back and I'm like, wow, you know, July 5th, 2019, I had a great idea, you know, and I can sort of bring it back. Um, I know it's a long-winded answer to your question, but I'm just kind of spitballing right now. <laughs> no, I've always find it interesting how th- that journey takes place every time I have a, a, a new guest on, because everybody has a different um, path. And, you know, where people take things from, how people develop, you know, as far as songwriting goes, where do you find your inspiration? Is it experience? Is it observation? Is it creating something, uh, a story? How do you find that, that, uh, the creative, uh, energy to write a, to write a song? Well, sort of a mix of all of those things you just mentioned. I mean, Usually it would be experience. And uh, sometimes I like to talk to friends and talk to random people like about things that are going on in their lives. And then sometimes I'll write songs from the perspective of like maybe a a story my friend told me. Um, It's usually a little bit of like both. I would say it's a mixture of my personal experience and then stories that my friends will tell me. Um, You know, it was tough when like COVID happened because we were locked down and I couldn't do anything. So it was really hard to come up with song ideas or content, you know, like lyrical content because I wasn't really living any life, you know? Um, so, and we put out, we actually put out a, like a deluxe edition of um, our first record during that first year, I think, or a year and a half. And I ended up kind of um, using stories that my friends had told me, you know, stories about things that happened to them in high school or, things that happen in university, that kind of stuff, and just sort of personalizing it. So it sounds like I'm singing about myself, but I'm actually telling somebody else's story. Um, I got, you know, we, I get inspiration from a lot of things, but I think that mainly 
I just like to go out and put myself out there and just like get, you know, get in trouble or do some stuff and, you know, maybe be open to experiences that, that, um, that might scare me. There's like things I'll, I'll, I'll go and try to do that will all, you know, add to the equation and, uh, eventually maybe make it into a song, you know, um, that's just the way that I like to do it. When you're writing through personal experience and you kind of revisit something that happened, whatever type of emotion it does, you know, bring you, is that difficult to kind of revisit things or is it a way of therapy? Is it a way of getting something out that maybe you're trying to solve yourself? It's a good question, actually. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Like it, it, it's really weird. Sometimes I feel like when, especially in rock, you know, with this genre, you can kind of, it's kind of like expected to write something kind of angsty, you know, or like kind of pissed off. So a part of me is like, well, I'm going to do this. And then people probably are just going to think it's because that's what you're supposed to do in rock. Like they're expecting to hear something like that. But then the other side of me is like, oh, well, I'm also kind of laying my heart on the line here. Like, like there is a lot of truth in what I'm saying. And um, I think when I put out my first record, um, that was the biggest hurdle I had to get over. Cause I was very afraid what everybody would think of me when I would be sharing, you know, these personal stories and, and, and by everybody, I really just meant like my family and my friends, you know, like, I guess like everybody else will probably just see it for what it is. And it's just another rock band, you know, to them, or, I mean, I hope we're not just another rock band to, to people, but I guess like for the, the lyrical, side of it I was more worried that my friends and family would kind of hear what I'm saying and go like oh man you know is this guy all right you know <laughs> I didn't know that about you kind of thing um and that was a big that was a big step for me on the first record was just coming to terms with with um with with that and coming to terms that like if I wanted to be real and I wanted to be authentic I have to say what I mean and I have to mean what I say and um if that's how I felt at the time then then I, I had to I had to be that, you know, because there's no room for inauthenticity, you know, in my mind for, for my project. And, and, um, for that first record, I had a lot to say that I hadn't said. And, and honestly, it was a huge weight off my shoulders because, you know, I kept so much bottled in for so long and I didn't really know how to, how to get it out. And, uh, I guess going on stage and getting to sing these songs every night now is kind of fun for me because, uh, because I like, to me, it's it, now it's sort of um, cheeky, I guess. You know, at the time I was really serious about it. I was like, it was all drama, you know, so melodramatic. And now I look back and I kind of laugh a little bit. And it's uh, not in like a cheesy way, but I, I kind of feel like it's a little it's a little cheeky to me that like um, that uh, I was so serious about it at the time. And, and truth be told, you know, a lot of people have resonated with these songs and it's actually helped a lot of people out. Um, and that's sort of the biggest um, win for me, I guess, you know, that, that I, I was able to do that for myself. And then it was also able to reach other people and, and um, impact them as well. So, you know, I mean, nowadays I'm less, like I said before, I'm less worried about what I say because now I'm, I'm older, you know, I'm 25 now. I was like 17 when I made my first record. Like I've lived a lot more life. I'm a lot more comfortable with myself that I don't really care what anybody thinks about me anymore. Um, I'm just going to say what I say and, and I'm going to say what I mean. And I don't really give a shit 
when anybody thinks about it anymore. It's a great place to be, you know, like yeah. when you, when you, when you reach that level of, of authenticity and, and, and what you're doing, what you're putting out, you're, you're bearing your soul and you can allow people to feel whatever they want to feel. As far as the music goes, when you do write those songs and you get farther and farther away from that emotion that caused you to write that song, does that song evolve with you? Because you're evolving as a person. You're able to see things differently the farther you get away from something and you revisit things and you revisit a, a, a lyric or lyrics that you wrote. Does that happen with you? Does it like, okay, I see things completely different. This song now means something different than it did originally. Yes, 100%. Sometimes like, yeah, I'll be like, wow, I think this is what I really meant, you know, or like, maybe I thought I meant this, but I think this is what it means now. And that's the beautiful thing about about music, right? It's so subjective. It's like, it, it means so many different things to so many different people and everybody can have their own take on it. And uh, so, I mean, you know, some songs are more specific in the subject matter, but I like to write a lot of songs where it's kind of open to interpretation. You know, it's more of like a palette of things. You know, there's a more, I guess, if it's like philosophical, I like to keep things like pretty existentialist, you know, like kind of like choose your own destiny kind of thing. Um, and yeah, there's definitely been some songs where now I've, I've kind of figured out what I meant at the time. Cause sometimes, you know, when I, when I'm writing songs, I just spill out words. Like I just think, or maybe I think the words sound cool, you know, and I'm not really thinking about the, uh, the, um, the, the, the uh, the content of it you know what it's actually about and yeah like for sure it's definitely happened before and uh the songs are definitely growing with me for sure the new single is forever forever is enough which was released today uh, yeah uh, what's what how did this song how is this song built what tell me about the creative process with with uh with this track this one's funny because um uh the title of it actually came from uh a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. And uh, I'm a big fan of Larry David. Me too. And uh, all things Seinfeld and all that all that stuff. And there was a really great episode where he's with, um, uh, I think it's Cheryl, right? That, that was his wife at the time. His ex-wife, the yeah. Show. His ex-wife. And uh, they're like renewing their vows. And she's like saying something like, and, you know, I vow to be together um, uh, forever and all eternity. And Larry's like, isn't forever enough? Like all eternity. He goes, maybe I had other plans. I just thought that was so funny. And the principle of like forever is enough was just so funny to me that I thought it was a really funny title. And on the flip side, you know, at the time I was really obsessed with James Bond. And uh, I thought that forever is enough was also like a cool, like James Bond, like title, you know, like that'd be a cool name. I mean, there's a movie forever is not enough. You know, yes. but I was like, forever is enough also could be, you know, it's close enough, whatever. I was kind of pulling from both of those things. And uh, it was sort of like my attempt at trying to write like a Bond song, but like mixed in to what, you know, I guess Broken Love like does as well. Um, but, you know, the actual song is is essentially, it, it, while it has a serious delivery, it's kind of you know, calling back to that Larry David thing where he's like, man, isn't forever enough? Like how much more do I have to give you? Like, like, that's it. You know, I don't, I don't want to 
live forever, you know, with you. I think I'm okay with this having a, a start and an end, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of what it's about. <laughs> Amazing. It's a great so, track. Um, as far as the band goes, Broken Love, when you think of the single that was released today versus the album you released in 2020, where do you feel the band has evolved the most? I think definitely in our... Um, in our live performances, you know, we've come a long way as a live band. And um, I'm happy to say that I think we've garnered a little bit of a, of, a, of a reputation for being a good live band. And that's sort of where we, we, um, we put a lot of emphasis on that part, because I think rock and roll is so, it's such a, a, um, it's a very different experience live. And every rock fan knows that, you know, seeing a rock band live is, is like, completely different than any other band, you know, or any other group. It's just like a very special performance. And it's like, it's, it's very unique. It's only like, what I love about rock is if you're going to see the right band and, you know, if they're not tied to a bunch of tracks or anything like that, it's a unique performance every single time. And uh, we put a lot of emphasis on just trying to be the best live band we possibly can and, and, and giving people the best show that we possibly can. And uh, obviously, you know, through the years we've, you know, gotten to know each other more musically in that sense. And we all know where everybody's going to go. We all know the moves to make, you know, I mean, we don't, we don't really rehearse much and we don't really plan out set lists when we just go on stage and we just kind of, you know, free ball it and it keeps it fun. It keeps it, uh, it keeps it fresh for us every single night. And like, that's kind of how my favorite bands did it in like the seventies, you know, they just kind of threw together whatever and, just made it work and it, it kept it spontaneous and, uh, and exciting for everybody, it, you know, the audience and the band, you know, cause I don't want to be the kind of band that people come to see us two nights in a row and they see the exact same thing. Um, while I respect that for sure, you know, there is something about being super consistent, um, that keeps it very tight, but there's something also so fun and liberating about just, you know, getting on stage and seeing what happens. <laughs> there's also a, a sense of danger because you don't have, a safety net, you know, you're pretty right. much out there without a net and whatever goes, goes. And that's, there, there's some, there's, I've always said there's always art in the chaos, right? right. I mean, it's, it's, it's that spontaneity. Like when you think like the seventies, you know, Led Zeppelin and, you know, when they're doing 40 minute versions of whole lot of love or 40 minute versions of days and confused with these blues medleys in inside of those songs. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a, for the listener, for the person in the audience, it's that wonder of where's this band going to go? What, the, what are they going to do? And it makes for such a great, nothing is worse than seeing a band three times in one year and seeing the three exact same shows. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just not, it loses something, you know? Right. I mean, there's some bands where, like, for me, like, like going back to Kiss, I'm never mad when I walk out of a Kiss show because it's so over the top. It's so outrageous. There's so much pyro and trickery it's like it's an amazing show you know i'm not really going but i'm like again i'm not going to see kiss for like the musicality i'm going to see because it's a great show great songs but like you know when i would see the foo fighters every single time i'd see them it'd be a completely different thing you know they would just throw it together and they would do jams and then do different set lists and you know you you would always be on your on your toes and I like that you see you brought up that it's a sense of danger because I, I agree. And that's why I like it too, because 
I think a lot of what made rock and roll cool was that there was danger in it, you know, years and years ago. Now I feel like it's kind of lost that it's not really dangerous anymore. And sure, I think sure. it's, uh, it's fun to take a little bit of risk sometimes. Um, and sometimes you fall on your face, you know, but it's all part of the show. You know, I feel like uh, sometimes you gotta, you gotta hit some lows to reach the highs, I guess. Over the past year, you guys have released a collection of singles uh, with the latest being forever is enough released today. Uh, what is the plan for the band? Is there, is there, uh, a plan to just do the singles or is there an album ep coming a physical copy where do you, where do you guys sit with that so there is a um there's a second ep coming out um september 3rd i believe um we just put out an ep like a couple months ago or something and uh and then eventually we are leading up to a full album release that will probably come out sometime later in the fall um so all these songs that we've been releasing um, are going to be part of the second record. Essentially we kind of releasing it in this three stage plan. You know, it's the more modern way to do it, especially with streaming and all that kind of stuff. And people's attention spans are pretty, are pretty uh, um, short these days. Limited. Yeah. And, uh, but we are going to do a physical copy. I mean, we're kind of, Right now we're sort of battling like the vinyl shortage thing. Cause that's sort of a problem. And we're hoping we can get our vinyls pressed and ready to go around like December or January. We'll probably have CDs before that. Um, but the physical packaging stuff is really a, a bummer right now. Um, so we're trying to make it work. Yeah. I ordered a Crownlands album last September and nice. I and I just got it two weeks ago. Wow, that's yeah. a long time, man. We just I, played with them. <laughs> they're great. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're awesome. What about plans to tour for you guys? We're going on tour um, in the fall in the U.S. We're going out with a band called Dead Poet Society, um, and that's kind of like most of the fall. We're going to be. Uh, I, I I got the word yesterday that we might be going on tour in Canada in late November, December. I can't really confirm that yet. Um, I should know within a day or two if that's going to happen, but it's looking like we're going to be on the road forever and ever. <laughs> well, considering that no one really toured for about a year, year and a half, it's uh, it's probably a welcome, welcome thing for you guys. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I'm not complaining. I mean, we've kind of been on tour for like a year it's been a lot. Like we've kind of been out since last June. Um, Cause we kind of started touring as soon as you could, you know, and we went straight to the States because in Canada, it, the restrictions weren't, weren't allowing that. So we went to the U S like June of 2021, you know, and essentially have kept going until like now. I mean, we, I just got back from Nova Scotia like a couple days ago we've had like a couple weeks off in between things, but like we've kind of been at it um, for a long time. I mean, I think since then we've played like, and we've played like 150, 160 shows. Like it's been insane, you know, in the last year, but we're going to keep going, you know? Well, that's great. It's been a blast talking with you. I appreciate the time and, and the conversation and look forward to doing this again sometime. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
That is Justin from the band Broken Love. This is Jay Scott from the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock me podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.